So we are in the book of Mark. Thank you. Good. Good. Good start. Excellent. Um, so last week, last week we saw Jesus ask the question, um, who do people say I am? And Peter very boldly said, I think you are the Christ. Now we heard he didn't really particularly understand what all that actually meant. Calvin Miller, in his book, The Taste of Joy, he says, many people are only Christaholics and not disciples at all. Many people are Christaholics and not disciples at all. Now, what he meant by that, what he's getting at here is this idea that we have in our mind what Jesus should look like. We have got some sort of concept of what, he think, what we think he should say, how he should behave, and what he should be doing for us to fulfill my desires. So what we do, we take the little bits of the Bible that we like, the bits that sort of keep us happy, the bits of Jesus that we think they look particularly good, and then those other bits that we don't like so much, well, we either just ignore them, dismiss them, or, or just tear them out altogether. So we create in our minds this idea of Jesus, probably sort of a generous sort of guy, the sort of guy who we think is sort of a gift-giving personality, who will do what we think he should do for us, who's probably only slightly more powerful than we are. And we sort of water him down to the lowest denominator and sort of think of him as a little buddy who, well, we can sort of... He'll be there for us when things get difficult. He'll be there when things get a little bit tougher. Perhaps someone we turn to as a quick-fix solution. But listen, this is not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. The last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about and made some steps towards losing a little bit of weight. I'm thinking I'm beginning to look a little bit like a pastor. You know the pastor's tummy. And I thought, it's not a great look, to be fair. So I've decided I'm going to just cut back a little bit of my food intake, and actually I've started running again. I haven't ran for about seven months, um, but I've started running again. To be fair, it's all Matthew's fault. Where is Matthew? Matthew's gone out, is he? Matthew has decided to do Chester Marathon in October, and I've signed up as well to join him. In fact, I think Carol signed up too. She's here somewhere as well. Yeah, here she is. Yeah. So it's not too late. Anybody wants to join us, you know, it's, there's still time. If you, if you want to come along and, and, and join us, you know, it'd be, be great to have a few more people along with us. But you know what? I've discovered this exercise business, it's really quite painful. It's, it's seriously hard, particularly when you're carrying all of this around with you. It is not easy. Now, I know it's going to get better. I know it's going to get easier. But you know what's even worse? I don't know how they know these internet people, but you get a little email popped into your email account, this magic diet pill, one pill a day, and you just, your weight will just fall off you, there's no need to do any exercise, there's no need to do anything else, just this amazing magic cure. The trouble is, it probably doesn't work, and if it does, it'll probably kill you in the process, 
Truth is, there are no shortcuts to losing weight. There are no shortcuts to getting fitter. There are no magic cures. Listen to me. Jesus is not some sort of magic pill that we think we can take to get us out of difficult situations. Some sort of magic pill that will just fix all our problems overnight. That's not the way it works. In fact, Jesus says to follow him will cost everything we have. That's where we're heading this afternoon. That's the passage we're looking at. And Jesus, he's been trying to teach and to show people over, these last, over the last few chapters we've been reading, he's been showing them who he really is. And now that Peter has finally said, Jesus, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, he may not have understood all of it, but in a sense, lesson one is now complete and lesson two must begin. So we're in verse 31. Let's just read a little bit. Jesus says, um, sorry, he, he began... He then began to teach them, by the way, chapter 8, verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, it's very clear from... Peter's reaction here, but also from the evidence from the other Gospels, that the disciples are looking for a very different kind of Christ. They want someone to follow who is going to lead them well, someone who's going to be strong, and someone who is going to win. Now, Jesus, he is certainly strong, he will certainly win, but not in the way that the disciples are expecting him to. Because what they're looking for... They're looking for some sort of military, some sort of political head, someone who is going to lead this sort of popular uprising against the, against the Roman authorities of that particular day and their puppet rulers. And the disciples, well, what they want, they want a king who will rule the known world at that time, a king who will defeat their enemies, who will remove Roman occupation. But listen, we've got to remember that Jesus is not that time of king. Jesus is a very different kind of king, a very different kind of hero. He will be the king who will allow his people to reject him, to ultimately have him killed in the most barbaric and shameful way imaginable. But the disciples, and Peter in particular, don't want any talk of the cross. They don't want Jesus to go anywhere near the cross. But this is the hard path that Jesus has chosen to walk from this point forward until he reaches the, the, the bitter 
and yet triumphant end. And, and Peter's mind's racing at this moment. He, he's, he's anxious, he's outraged at the suggestion that his enemies could possibly win, that the religious leaders could possibly win over Jesus. And Peter, he just can't get his head around all of this. He doesn't get it, he cannot understand it. How could Jesus possibly feel in such a way? As far as Peter's concerned, the cross is failure. It's the end to all his plans, the end to all his dreams. Listen, Peter's personal view of Jesus has been developed through knowing him. There's probably nobody who knows Jesus better than than Peter does, truth was told. But also his views have been developed out of his own personal and also his political desire to see Jesus do what he wants him to do, to see Jesus fulfill his desires. Truth is, Jesus is not some sort of quick fix. And he is no more at Peter's beck and call than he is at yours or mine. Peter really wants to be Jesus' spin doctor. So he he takes him off to one side. You notice that? He takes him off to one side and he rebukes Jesus and he tells Jesus, gives him a private lesson of how he thinks he can become king of the Jews. he He says, Jesus, I know better than you. How many of you have said that to Jesus, to God? I think I know better. Jesus, I don't like your way of doing this. I don't like the plan you've got here. Your plan, your plan is just too messy. It's just too complicated. Your plan requires hard work, obedience, prayer, and sacrifice. It just takes far too long, Jesus. I don't like it. don't want to go your way. In 2006, God first spoke to us about church planting. Six and a half years later, we finally arrived in Chester. Six and a half years, I would love to say, of patiently waiting on God. That wasn't true. <laughs> Six and a half years of frustration and thinking, God, come on. And we, we sort of pushed various avenues and various doors, and God would close those doors. And we thought, and I was just crying, God, come on, you're... You're taking too long over this. There's got to be a better way than... And each time God would say, no, it's it's my way. You do it in, in my timing. You listen to me. And listen, there's nothing more frustrating than sometimes waiting. But listen, what is worse is stepping out of God's will and God's purpose for your life and rushing ahead of him or or lagging behind him. And we need to be in the very center of God's will, of God's purpose. And sometimes that requires that we wait and wait patiently on God. And you may think you know better than Jesus. You don't. 
Really? You don't. And some of you, perhaps, are just like Peter. And you, you want to take Jesus aside for a moment and say, Jesus, Jesus, your plan for my life at the moment, I just don't like it. I just I think there's got to be a better way than the way we're going at the moment. Jesus, I, I think if we did it this way, not... And all the time, God will speak to you and he will say to you, listen, it's my way or no way. Because my way is always the best way. And we need to get to that point of trusting and believing and finding our hope and our joy and our satisfaction in him. Peter's view of Jesus have been shattered in this moment. Absolutely shattered. All this talk, he's offended by all this talk of of death and sacrifice and the cross. He just doesn't want to hear this sort of thing. But look how Jesus responds to him. He he doesn't take him off to one side and put his arm around him and say, Oh, there, there, poor Peter. You know, Peter, oh. let's work something. Let's talk about this, Peter. Maybe we can compromise slightly. No, he goes to Peter and he says to Peter, Peter, you are doing the work of the enemy. Harsh? Maybe. You're doing the work of the enemy. He says, get behind me, Satan. In fact, Jesus, in fact, Peter's rebuke of Jesus has got the smell of sulfur all over it. In fact, this temptation could have come out of the mouth of Satan himself. In fact, it did in the past. Not recorded in the book of Mark, to be fair, but in the other Gospels, after Jesus was baptized, you remember the story, Satan comes to him and said, Jesus, you want to be king? You can be king, but not the way the Father wants you to be king, because his way, his way is hard and painful and and, and, and shameful, but my way, do it my way, and it can be glorious and triumphant and pain-free. And Jesus knows that that way leads absolutely nowhere. Yet this temptation is still very, very real. That's, I believe, why he speaks so straight and so abruptly and so perhaps harshly towards Peter. That's why Peter, Peter's in no place to lecture Jesus, I guess, any more than we are. Instead, we must choose to follow, to obey to listen to him. And Jesus has a lesson to teach all the disciples here. So you'll notice he makes the correction of Peter very public. Now, Jesus had already established who he is. He's already said, he said, I am this suffering Savior. I haven't come here to overthrow the Roman authorities. In fact, I am the one who will suffer and bleed and die at the hands of the Jewish authorities. But I am the resurrected Redeemer. Yes, I'm going to die. But in three days, I will live again. And listen, lads, listen, disciples. I am going to the cross. I'm going to obey my Father. I am going to walk the road of the cross. And no one, no one will stop me from that. 
Guys, we have, we have an amazing Savior. I hope you know that. An amazing Savior. And as we will see as we go through the remainder chapters of, of Mark, we will see how time and again Jesus follows the will of his Father with an absolute determination. And the road that he will walk will be a road of shame, of suffering, and ultimately death. And nothing, nothing is going to distract him from that. Because he knows that this is the only way that will bring life and wholeness and forgiveness to a lost mankind that he loves so much. It's the only way. And listen, folks. We are called to live like Jesus. We are called to live like him, to walk the path that he walked, to live the way that he lived. And there comes a time for, for tough talking, the time to be stand up and to be counted. In fact, perhaps what our nation needs more than ever before is for godly men and women and young people who are willing to stand up for the things of Jesus, to follow him, whatever it costs. So we get back into the words of Jesus in verse 34. In fact, Jesus calls the crowds together. He calls the disciples together as well. Listen to his words. They're not easy words. Listen to them. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it if someone is to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to his Father's glory with the holy angels. And as we just, I guess, wrap the end of this chapter up, I just want to share three thoughts with you as we finish. The first is this. We need to live for Jesus, not for yourself. You see, in saying yes to Jesus means saying no to yourself. You can't do both of them. You either say yes to Jesus or yes to yourself. You've got to choose. Yes to Jesus means saying no to yourself. In fact, Jesus is not just some sort of lifestyle accessory that we just put on when we're feeling and be a little bit down about ourselves. He's not like buying a new belt or a new tie or a new handbag, if that takes your fancy, I don't know. But you know, it's not something you can just attach on to yourself and it might make you either feel better or just look, look good. How often have we heard people say, you know, I tried Jesus once, but it didn't really work out. No, they didn't. If you try Jesus, he means denying everything about yourself. He says, what, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Listen, for some of you, this is devastating. Because it's going to mean some changes. It's going to mean saying no to a few things. It's going to mean a different sort of lifestyle. It is absolutely devastating. But to follow Jesus costs absolutely everything. Everything. Even to the point of being prepared to suffer shame for him. And he has called us to the road of the cross. To a road of sacrifice. It's Billy Graham who says, he says, salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything we have. And we have seen over the last few chapters how Jesus has, has given all of himself in terms of serving other people. You've seen how he's reached the point of exhaustion many times in the stories that we've looked at in the Gospel of Mark. And yet, even though people have misunderstood him, even they have rebuked him and, and, and said crazy things about him, he, what does he do? He still keeps on loving and serving and teaching them. He doesn't give up on them. And we have, call, we have been called to walk the way Jesus walked, to follow his example. So are you willing to deny yourself and follow Jesus, to follow your king, to love and to serve your God with everything? Jesus demands everything from us. Our whole life given over to him, holding absolutely nothing back. Warren Warren Wearsby in his book, A Time to be Renewed, he, he explains it like this. He says, to deny self does not mean to deny things. It means to give yourself wholly to Christ and to share in his shame and death. To take up a cross means to carry burdens Sorry, to take up a cross does not mean to carry burdens or have problems. And he writes, I once met a lady who told me her asthma was the cross she had to bear. What rubbish. To take up your cross means to identify with Christ in his rejection, shame, suffering, and death. To put it another word, another way, we need to choose the cross, not life. Choose the cross, not life. And are you willing to say that actually I am willing to follow Jesus with everything that I am and I'm willing to give my time and my money and everything over to him? Truth is, actually, all our friends, our family, everything we have has been given to us by God in the first place anyway. It isn't even ours, to be fair. But are you willing to say I'm prepared to give everything over to you and I want to serve the giver and not the gifts? To serve the giver and not the gifts. Because I belong to Jesus, I am willing to suffer for him. And because he died for me, I am willing to die for him. The truth is that all the things that we so desperately cling to, our jobs, our money, car, 
whatever, they can so easily just slip through our fingers. They can be gone. They can be gone in a moment. It's only when we give those things over to Christ, over to God, that we can truly enjoy them because then they sit in their rightful place with God as number one and those other things secondary to him. There's nothing wrong with a good job. I've got one. There's nothing wrong with, with money. I've got a little bit. But Jesus must, he must come first. He must be Lord. The economy of God's kingdom is radically different to this earth's economy. That's why Jesus says if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. You want to save it? You've got to lose it. There's something about death in God's economy. We need to put things to death. In fact, we need to put our me-centered way of thinking to death. It needs buried. It needs to be gone completely. So we put to death self-importance because it's not about you anymore. It's about him. It's about Christ. It's not about self. We need to put to death self-satisfaction that we find our joy, our satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. We need to put to death self-absorbance and self, self-advancement and, and understand that we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. Trouble is... It's really hard. Honestly. We, we struggle with this. I do. This is really, really difficult to live like this. Because all the things just creep in, don't they? But as we learn to live for him, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, as we look towards his glory and his wonder, we see his kingdom come on earth. We see his power through the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus begin to reign in our lives, in our communities as we gather together. As I've said already, there is no better place to live and to be than in the center of God's will. And God's will is that you love and serve him with all of your heart. There's one final third thing I mention is this. You need to live for Jesus, not yourself. Choose the cross, not life. And thirdly, choose the gospel, not stuff. You remember that moment when you first met Jesus for the first time and you realized in that instant that the things that seemed so important at one point actually didn't look quite so important after all. And if Jesus has saved you, you have become a child of God filled with the Holy Spirit. And I hope you know that you are more rich beyond your wildest dreams in Christ. You may say, I haven't got much money in my pocket. It doesn't matter. In Christ, you're rich beyond your wildest dreams. And as Jesus' kingdom comes into your life, we taste now something of God's glory, of God's presence. I hope you sense God's presence as we gathered earlier on, as we worship. I hope you even sense God's presence as we, as we meet now. But that's just a taste 
of what's to come. Steve was talking on Tuesday night about the now and the not yet. And we get a glimpse now of God's kingdom here. Listen, God's kingdom, heaven begins here. It begins in our hearts right now. But it's only a taste of what's to come one day. And we look forward to that. But listen, we begin now. We serve him now. And so the call goes out that we need to tell other people the good news. The gospel, it means good news. Not something we keep to ourselves. It needs to be shared. Everyone needs to hear about Jesus, about what he's done, about his death and his resurrection. And if you follow Jesus Christ, you need to walk the way that he leads. And his way is the way of the cross. But listen, the cross may be painful, but the cross proclaims Jesus. That's where it's pointing to. It's pointing back at Jesus Christ again. That is who we proclaim. So as people come to the cross, we must never forget about it because it's there we find healing. It's there we find forgiveness. It's there we find our hope. It's there. We repent and we meet with our Savior. We must not keep that to ourselves. In fact, the last sentence of chapter 8 literally rams that home as Jesus says, Don't be ashamed of me. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. It's hard-hitting, isn't it? The whole talk's pretty hard-hitting. Apologies for that. Not really. It's hard-hitting. See, now is the time to decide. You, you, You can't sit on the fence on this one. Truth is, there is no fence. The the offense is an illusion. There is only one of two ways. You either choose to follow Jesus or you choose to follow yourself. There is no offense, guys. So what way will you walk? Jesus calls for commitment and his words are blunt. He says, keep on rejecting me and on the day of judgment, I will reject you. It's all or nothing. So what what will we choose? Will you choose Jesus? Are you willing to commit everything to him? Jesus says, take up your cross. Follow me. Let's stand together.